Shema Yisrael. Welcome to the broadcast outreach of Living God Ministries with Aaron Budgen. Aaron discovered Jesus is his Messiah while preparing to be a rabbi. He now teaches for several organizations and is the teaching pastor for Living God Ministries. Strongly distinguishing between the Old and New Covenants, Aaron presents the scriptures from a Judaic and historical frame of reference. Join Aaron now as he reveals the reality foreshadowed and the new life we can now experience because of what the Lord Jesus accomplished for us. Discovering the gospel and being saved can be a very exciting experience for an individual. When a person gets saved, they live with a sense of anticipation and expectation. And they should, because being saved is exciting. Discovering who God is is very exciting. But sometimes, over a period of time, this tends to dissipate a little bit. The excitement dissipates and goes away And a person will then be left with questions like, what happened? Why is it that I was so enthusiastic before, and now I just simply feel disappointment? I feel as though I'm further away from God than when I first got saved even. What happened? What went wrong? This does happen on occasion, and there are, of course, many reasons why this happens. But what I would like to talk about today is what people will sometimes do in response to this discovery that they have, that they had this great sense of enthusiasm and expectation when they first got saved, and then it just sort of dissipated a little bit, and they really believe that they need to now do something in order to restore or perhaps even resurrect that initial excitement that they once had. Now, what happens in many congregations of Christians is that people often get taught the law. They get taught the law in different ways, different laws. But in general, expectations get placed onto an individual where we will say things like, you need to do this and you should not do this. And when people try to live according to these rules or regulations, laws, principles for daily living, however we may describe them. When a person begins to live this way, what happens is that a person fails. They fail at times, and when they do, they will believe that God will not accept them as he once did. And so, with this kind of theology, or with this kind of belief, what people will tend to do in response is they will recommit themselves, they will rededicate themselves, They will try harder. They will really devote themselves to try to be who they believe God wants them to be. This then becomes the objective of the Christian life for many people. What people do after they get saved and they get excited and then a lot of promises are made, they become very enthusiastic about these promises People tell them that they're going to be blessed, but when these blessings don't come, when these promises tend to be unfulfilled, when these things happen, then people tend to look for other ways to deal with the issues that they find themselves dealing with. And this is one of the ways that they will deal with these issues, is they will become committed even more. They will become devoted even more, but to what? to try to be who God wants them to be. And this can only be defined with a set of laws. 
You must have a set of laws that you identify, that you pick and choose, that you are going to live in obedience to. You are going to repent from your sins. You are now going to live in obedience to the commandments that you have selected. And somehow that will then get God to respond to you, and he will now fulfill all those promises that you thought he should have fulfilled already, or he is going to bless you in ways that he ought to, because he's going to owe you for all your effort. These are the kinds of things that people begin to think about. These are the things that people tend to believe. They may not say it directly, but indirectly it can be found throughout their entire life existence. You can discover that this is how people tend to function. So, what will an individual do? Well, they will need to identify the laws, the commandments, the rules. They will have to find a list. They need a list. You have to have a list in order to accomplish this objective that you now have. You need to have the list of things that you're going to do. And the more committed a person is, the longer this list will tend to be. What some people do who are very committed, who are really determined, what some people will do in this case is they will pick certain laws in the Old Covenant found within the Law of Moses. They will pick some of them that they believe are not being observed like they should be. They will, of course, continue to try to observe all of those laws that everybody told them not to do, which I can understand, things like do not kill, do not steal, things like that. I can certainly appreciate that. But they will add to that. They will identify the laws that might be missing in the Christian life. Things like the dietary laws. The dietary laws tend to be a very popular selection for individuals who really want to be committed, who really want to be devoted. They will select the dietary laws to start out with, and then they will select the Sabbath law and other laws, laws related to the festivals, for example, things like that. They will then try to obey or observe as much of the law as they can with hope that maybe through that promises will be fulfilled, blessings will be received, they will have a close relationship with their God that they don't really seem to have right now. This tends to be the origin behind many people's pursuit of living a life in obedience to the dietary laws and other laws. Now, what I would like to talk about in this program, and probably the next program as well, is the subject of the dietary laws. I decided to take a few minutes just to give you some general background as to what may motivate an individual to pursue these. But, of course, there are many different people who pursue these laws for different reasons. I'm just giving you the most common reason why I find people are trying to live in obedience to the dietary laws as well as many others that are somewhat related to the dietary laws or at least fall in the same classification as the dietary laws in the context of living in obedience to the commandments in order to be blessed by God or in order to have promises fulfilled by God or in order to show God that you love him, things like that. The dietary laws tend to be quite popular with those who are the most determined With those who are not as determined, they will focus on other things, and those things will have the same effect in terms of failure and depression and other consequences that people experience when they try to live a life that they can't. But when it comes to the dietary laws, a person can live in obedience to those laws, and yet only those who tend to be really committed to this task 
will pick those. I mean, to me, it seems a little bit odd because there are other people who are not as committed, and yet they could pick those laws because they are easier to obey than some of the other things that they try to accomplish. But I'm just going to call that an anomaly at the moment. And instead, what I want to do is I want to spend some time talking about the dietary laws in the context of an individual trying to obtain something that they do not have, that they believe that they should obtain or that they should have. They're trying to restore some excitement that they had once before. They're trying to mature in some way. There are many motives. Now, what I want you to consider, of course, is the fact that we have already been blessed by God. He has already fulfilled many promises to us. I have done many radio programs on this subject, programs such as The Will of God, Our Inheritance in Christ, things like that. So I'm not going to focus on the blessings that we have already received or the promises that our God has already fulfilled. In many cases, people are pursuing these blessings and these promises, not recognizing that they have already received what they are truly pursuing. I want to refer you to those programs for that subject. In this case, though, aside from the motive, I really want to talk about the importance of the dietary laws. I want to talk about the importance of them because I find many people will look at the dietary laws and say something like, well, you know, that's just the law. That's the old covenant. We're now under the new covenant. And then they just ignore it. They just move on and they continue in their Christian life and just say, well, that's just part of something that happened in the past. And God used that at one time. But there are other things that are more important to us now. And in many ways, that's true. I can understand that. There are many things that are more important to us now. But this is still important. This is very important. I believe that if an individual does not understand the dietary laws, that there are many things in the scriptures that they will not understand. What I mean by that is that it's not so important to understand the dietary laws. What is important is understanding the implications of the dietary laws. What's important is to understand the effect of the dietary laws. It's important to understand the role that the dietary laws played in bringing about salvation, in bringing the gospel to the Gentile world, in order to understand the conflicts that were taking place in the development of the early church. You have to understand the dietary laws, the implications of the dietary laws, the effect of the dietary laws. That's what I'm talking about, is that people will tend to ignore the laws that God gave through Moses just because they are part of the Old Covenant, not realizing the effect of those laws and what they meant to the people at the time that the gospel was being revealed and it was going out into the world. It had profound significance to the reunification of the Jew and the Gentile to become one in Christ Jesus. And I believe that if you do not understand the dietary laws in this context, it's my belief, I really believe, that you're missing something. That you're missing something that God gave, that He wants you to know, that He wants you to understand, that He wants you to appreciate. So that's what I'm going to talk about. Now, in order for me to get into this, the first thing I'm going to do is tell you what the law is, because you need to know the law. You've got to know what the law is. Now, the law was well-defined in Leviticus chapter 11. In my opinion, that's the best place to look concerning the dietary laws. Read through Leviticus chapter 11, and you will see the list that God gave concerning what you can eat and what you can't eat. Now, of course, this list was given to the nation of Israel. 
and this did result in some very important things, and I will tell you what those things are in just a minute, but this list was given to the nation of Israel to observe that they could eat some things and they could not eat other things. And if you take the time to read through Leviticus chapter 11, then you can identify the things that you can eat, the things that you cannot eat. But let me give you some examples concerning what you can and cannot eat. In Leviticus chapter 11, the Lord said that animals that both chew the cud and have a split hoof, those can be eaten. But if an animal chews the cud and does not have a split hoof, you cannot eat that animal. Or if the animal has a split hoof but does not chew the cud, then you cannot eat that animal. For example, the cow has both a split hoof and chews the cud. But the pig has a split hoof and does not chew the cud. And so you can eat a cow, but you can't eat the pig. Animals that come out of the ocean can be eaten, but only those animals that have both fins and scales. If the animal comes out of the water or out of the ocean and it does not have fins and scales, then you cannot eat those animals. Certain insects can be eaten, those that have jointed legs, like locusts, for example, if you're interested in eating locusts, but you cannot eat other insects that do not have jointed legs. Now, there's a whole list that you can go through and you can identify the foods that you can eat and the foods you cannot eat, and if you were to examine the animals closely, you probably will find many good reasons as to why you would not want to eat some of those animals like bats or vultures, things like that. You may not be interested in eating spiders. I can understand that. There are some significant health concerns for some of these animals. For example, not just the taste or the concerns for how they look or whatever, but there can be some serious health concerns related to these. But I'm not going to talk about that right now. All I want to do is tell you that these are the laws. These are some examples concerning the laws. And there are probably some very good reasons as to why you would want to eat some animals and not eat others. Now, he also spoke about the containers that these animals could be placed in. For example, if the containers that are used in order to either capture, store, prepare, whatever, the containers are made out of wood or cloth, well, if they come in contact with an unclean animal, then those containers need to be washed. Otherwise, you will have violated the dietary laws. But there are other containers, such as pottery or the oven that is used in order to cook these animals. If the animals come in contact with the pottery or the oven, then you will have to destroy the pottery. You will have to destroy the oven. And so there are some details concerning the containers, the utensils, things like that, with relevance to the dietary laws. And these laws are very well defined. Now, what I would like you to consider is what will be the effect? What will be the consequences if a person lives in obedience to these laws? What will be the consequences? What will be the effect of an individual observing the dietary laws? If they are devoted, if they are committed if they truly live according to what the law demands, then how will that affect the way that they relate to the people around them? Well, if everyone else is observing those laws, then there probably won't be any significant concern. But if there are people who are not observing those laws, 
then those who are observing those laws will find themselves isolated from those who are not. There will be a separation between those who are observing the dietary laws and those who are not observing the dietary laws. This is a very important thing to recognize, that if the Israelites assume these laws to themselves, if they live in obedience to these commandments, then how are they going to do business with the Phoenicians, for example? How are they going to hang out with the Canaanites? They're not. Because the Phoenicians had a specific diet that they enjoyed. They enjoyed lots of animals that came out of the ocean that did not have both fins and scales, for example. They ate pigs, the Canaanites as well. And so what would happen between the Israelites and everyone else in the region? Well, they would be isolated from them. They would be separated from them. They would not be able to trade with each other. They would not be able to eat with each other. They would not be able to have any commerce with the other because the dietary laws would be violated. It would be virtually impossible for the Israelites to engage with the other nations in any way. It would be virtually impossible for them to be able to do that because they would violate the dietary laws through the commerce, through the activity, through the relational connections between the two. It just would not work out very well. And I believe that this was done on purpose. I believe that God established the dietary laws for this purpose, to isolate the nation of Israel from all the other nations. Now, there are other laws that have been identified that could fit in the class of dietary laws. For example, in Exodus chapter 23, verse 19. Again, that's Exodus chapter 23, verse 19. Also in chapter 34, verse 26. That's Exodus chapter 34, verse 26. And Deuteronomy chapter 14, verse 21. In these three references... The Lord says something about diet, that you are not to cook a calf in its mother's milk or boil a calf in its mother's milk, that you're not to do that. This is another law that is found in these three locations, and these have been assumed to be dietary laws. I say that they have been assumed to be dietary laws only because I don't think that they are, and there's two reasons why. The first reason why I do not believe that this is part of the dietary law, is because it's not part of Leviticus chapter 11. That's the first reason. Now, of course, it doesn't have to be, but I do make that assumption. That is my own personal assumption. But the second reason to me is much more important. It's much more profound. And that is that this is actually a description of an ancient Canaanite religious practice. And it's my belief that the proper context of this law, especially where it's placed and how it's used, I believe that the Lord is saying that you are not to worship the gods of the Canaanites or any other god for that matter, but that if they were to exercise this practice, if they were to do this thing, then they could have an association or there could be an association made that perhaps they are worshiping another god. And so it's my opinion that that was the intent 
of that specific law found in these three different places. But the rabbis, they did not believe that. They really did believe that this was part of the dietary law. And so I will proceed with that. I'm just telling you that, in my opinion, it's not part of the dietary laws. But the Pharisees did believe that it was part of the dietary law. And so they incorporated this within their diet, within the way that they lived, in such a way that they would never, ever eat meat and milk products in the same meal. That's how they dealt with it. They would never eat anything that was a meat product with a milk product. They would normally separate the two meals between four and six hours. The reason why they did that was because they believed that there was risk. There was great risk involved in eating both meat products and milk products. The risk was that perhaps the meat products, the hamburger, the steak, those products might have come from an offspring of a cow that provided the milk products. And if that was the case, then you would eat the milk product, you would eat the meat product, and through the digestive processes and the increase in body temperature, you would perhaps, in effect, be boiling the meat in its mother's milk. That was how far they went concerning trying to live in obedience to this particular law. But the purpose of that decision, the intent of that decision, was to just simply reduce the risk, reduce the potential that maybe, maybe we could violate the law in some way. And so if we just live this way, if we eat this way, then we will never violate this law, which in my opinion is the description of an ancient Canaanite religious practice that they should not have been observing anyway. That's how I read that. Now, to this day... The Jews today, who are the descendants of the Israelites, they are the people of Israel who have survived to this day. Today, they still observe these laws to the extent where, when it comes to meat and milk products, they have two different refrigerators. They have two different sets of dishes and utensils, plus two more different sets for Passover and other holidays. Some will use two different ovens, two different sets of pots, and other utensils in order to cook their food. People do live this way today. So just as people were isolated back then, what do you suppose has happened today? Well, the Jews are for the most part isolated from the other people today. If they are living in obedience to the dietary laws in the same way that the people were back then, as God required. If they do that, then they will find themselves being just as isolated from everyone around them as the Israelites were isolated from all of the nations around them during the time when God gave the commandments. Now again, I believe that this isolation, that this separation was done by God on purpose. What do you suppose this purpose would be? I believe that the purpose was to bring about the society, the culture, the economic, the religious, and the political infrastructure so that the Messiah would come in the way that God wanted the Messiah to come, to bring the gospel and provide salvation for humanity. Now, when he accomplished this through first isolating the nation of Israel, I believe that he accomplished this through the dietary laws. He used the dietary laws in order to isolate the people, to separate the people, so that he could do a specific work with these people. And then, when the time came to reunite 
the Jew with the Gentile, when that time finally came, which was after the Messiah came, he died for the sins of the world, he rose from the dead, at that time the gospel needed to be taken out into the Gentile world. He then used the dietary laws again in order to bring the gospel out to the Gentile world. Now, there is, of course, a lot to say about this, and I will take the time to talk about this in the next broadcast. But for those people in your life, or maybe you're one of these people, who have decided to live according to the dietary laws, to incorporate them in your life, if you know people who are incorporating them into their life, into their lifestyle, one of the questions that needs to be asked is why. Why are they doing that? Is it because... They believe they will sin if they violate the dietary laws? Well, this is a very important question. Is it sin? Is it not sin? Well, technically, it is a form of sin, but when you look at the penalty for violating the dietary laws, it's not the same as the penalty for violating other laws of God. And so if it is a sin that will separate us from our God... I would like to know that. I would definitely like to be aware of that. But when I study the law, I do not see that this is a sin that God declared we would be separated from him personally through violating these laws. Instead, you will be separated from the nation of Israel. That was the penalty that he described. And I, of course, will talk about this more in the next program. Now, if you are observing the dietary laws for health reasons, then by all means, I certainly would encourage you to do that if that's what you want to do. I can appreciate that. But if you believe that your relationship with your God is affected by a decision like this, if you believe that he will bless you in return for this, that he will intervene in a divine way in your life, as opposed to intervening divinely in the lives of other people who are not observing the laws as you are, if that's the case, then I would question the validity of that. I would question the intent of an individual who was pursuing that. Again, I do believe that we need to ask the question why and answer that legitimately. Otherwise, we might be making decisions in our lives that are not necessarily reflective of what our God has done for us what he has given to us, and we may not fully know the new covenant that has gone into effect. I will continue with this in the next broadcast. You have been listening to the broadcast outreach of Living God Ministries. You can hear all of our programs for free through our radio archive at livinggodministries.net. That is, livinggodministries.net. Do help us develop new radio programs and continue broadcasting on this and other radio stations. Send your contributions to Living God Ministries, P.O. Box 383-53, Colorado Springs, Colorado, 80937. Or use the donation link on our website, livinggodministries.net that is livinggodministries.net Thank you,